This is Science Modeling Talks, the podcast that features top modeling instructors and thought leaders sharing ideas. I'm your host, Mark Royce. I want to remind you to visit sciencemodelingtalks.com, where you can access a lot of extra content and learn more about us and the American Modeling Teachers Association, the professional organization that we promote. Okay, let's get started with today's episode. My guests for this episode are Erica Postuma and Molly Bickle. Erica is a chemistry teacher at University High School of Indiana. She's been a science educator since 2001 and is an active member of the American Chemical Society Division of Chemical Education and an associate editor for the JCE's ChemEd Exchange. In 2014, she was awarded the Excellence in High School Teaching Award from the American Chemical Society. She's a charter member and Indiana Regional Representative for AACT and also serves on the alumni board for Indiana University's School of Education. Erica is active with the American Modeling Teachers Association and is a popular choice to speak at various local, state, regional, and national meetings on topics ranging from classroom technology, modeling pedagogy, and standards-based assessment. Molly Bickle has been a student of Erica's since her freshman year at University High. A senior now, Molly is excited to combine her love for chemistry with her passion for and interest in pursuing a career in education. Because of this interest, Molly was invited as Erica's guest to participate in an online version of the Introduction to Modeling Instruction Workshop. Listen to my interview with Molly and Erica on this episode of Science Modeling Talks. Hi, Erica. Hi, Molly. Hi. How are you guys doing? Good. How are you? I'm good. I, uh, I'm excited to talk with you guys because, uh, Molly, Erica told me about you as a student and, and, uh, she had kind of a special place, I think for you in her heart. She's told me about the fact that you've gotten involved at a level that's much deeper than most students get involved with, with understanding modeling instruction. So I'll let you guys tell the story about how this all unfolded. Okay. Let's start with you, Erica. Let's let's uh, hear your perspective. Um, so Molly came to our school as a freshman, but she had already taken biology, um, which is uncommon for um, for our school. So she came in, uh, and as a freshman, she took my chemistry one class, which um, then prepped her for organic her sophomore year. And then she took AP chemistry her junior year. And then um, that's all the chemistry that we like traditionally offer at our school. So um, Molly approached me at the end of uh, last year, which um, was a, it was an untraditional spring semester uh, being the spring of 2020. And um, she asked if we could do an independent study um, project where she was going to do uh, some research um, and, and, uh, create a project uh, surrounding chemistry education, um, which I was excited about. And we um, talked about uh, some different ideas that we had. And then uh, with the pandemic, all of our modeling workshops moved to virtual. And while that that posed some really big challenges for us as facilitators and our teachers as learners, it also opened up some opportunities. And one of those opportunities was to allow Molly 
to non-traditionally intern for us. Um, so it's the first time I think that we've had a high school student actually intern with two seasoned facilitators for workshops. And so she kind of got to see like how the sausage is made, like <laughs> what does it mean? Um, you know, what what is the training that goes into someone who's being uh, taught the pedagogy and uh, what do the discussions look like? Um, from the teacher perspective. And then Molly was awesome. And she, you know, shared her perspective as a student. Um, she participated in our discussions. She helped in our planning. And um, it was a really rich experience for uh, my teachers and for um, my facilitator and I as well. Um, Molly, Erica mentioned something there that's, that's important for you to share with our listeners who are mostly teachers. Your perspective as a, as a student sitting under modeling instruction in the classroom. Can you tell us a little bit about what that was like and what your perspective? Now, let me clarify something. Erica, do you guys do the um, chemistry usually as a sophomore? Yes. Okay. So yeah. you do physics first? We do biology first. Biology first. Okay. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. So Molly kind of threw a monkey wrench in your system as far as the way she went through the process. But yes. Molly, when did you start uh, learning under a modeling instructor? So I started in my the, in, um, Chem 1 class with Erica my freshman year, and that was like my first kind of, that was obviously my first exposure to modeling, actually. I had never, I had come from a public school that had taught science in a very traditional way. And so that was kind of my first immediate reaction to that class was not only the content, but just the way it was taught was so foreign to me from anything else I'd ever experienced in a science classroom. Um, so as I continued to take those chemistry classes and also my interest in education itself kind of grew, I the combination of the two just came really naturally to me. And so I began to kind of take note of what my experiences were and what my perspectives were just so that I could kind of take that back um, to the pedagogy. And obviously this experience was amazing to be able to intern with that class over the summer and kind of, I would kind of keep mental logs during that class of what this experience was like or what this activity was like and kind of so I could take that back um, and remember what it was like the first time I'd experienced it. But it was really, I mean, off the bat, modeling was great for me. And that's kind of why I stuck with that as my interest, um, because it was such a good experience for me and a lot of my classmates, too. And so it was really great to be able to, like, go back and kind of see where it came from, see why it was the way it was and um, how it was taught too. like how teachers went through that transformation of being of use, being used to teaching out of a textbook in a very standard way to kind of this new, completely new idea of how to teach science. So that was really, really interesting for me to be able to see. You said it was a really good experience for you. How so? How, why was it, what was it about modeling instruction that worked for you? I really liked how you couldn't really be inactive. You had to be an active force in your own education if you wanted to because you couldn't just regurgitate information to get the A. You had to demonstrate your understanding. And you couldn't not, like, you had to be active and actually retain the information and retain the process 
so that you could reenact it in your own words and in your own style so that you could really understand it and at your personal level. And I also really liked how you could go as deep as you wanted or as surface level. So for my friends who are not science people who were not, you know, inclined to that kind of thinking, they could still understand as much as they needed to. And they didn't have to do the like super deep level of interest that as a science student I wanted to do. So it was kind of a, you could take as much as you wanted. So if you wanted, you know, yeah, kind of that same idea. If you wanted to go super deep, you could, if you didn't, as long as you got the concepts, which were so much more generous in modeling than they were in traditional learning for me, coming out of a traditional biology class, I'm not a biology student. And I still, I mean, like I was thinking the other day, I couldn't even name a single um, phase of like mitosis. I'm surprised I even remember what mitosis is, but in modeling the way that they do chemistry, you don't have to remember the name. Like it's less about the names and the definitions and the specific terms. It's more about the ideas. And that's so much easier for non-science students to understand the concepts and work through it logically than just memorizing definitions. So that's why it really worked for me and a lot of my friends. So yeah, that was why it was so much better than like, I remember going to chemistry, like I was like, oh my gosh, I love this so much. I like, this is so great. This is obviously my favorite class. And then I was like, oh, so I do like science. I like that method of discovery. I was like, I totally didn't think I was a science kid. And then modeling taught me that I definitely was. <laughs> wow. So, okay, before you got introduced to chemistry through this experience, what were you thinking about becoming? What were you, what was your path? Where were you headed? Oh gosh, I have no idea, but science definitely was not an option for me. Um, before this, I had taken a few science classes and it was kind of the teachers I liked were the classes I liked. And if I didn't like the teacher, I hated the class. But um, it was also really like, it was really weird for me to then start to think of science as a possible career path for me anyway, because yeah, it was just a door that was previously closed to me because it just wasn't interesting. And it was seen, it was also taught as something stagnant. So I didn't, science wasn't really something that I could interact with anyway. So when I was thinking of things to do with the rest of my life or even like the next couple years, it was kind of like, well, everyone's discovered what's needed to be discovered in science, or at least of all the things I was being taught. So um, like my attitude toward that was definitely changed in modeling because of the way that it's taught also in this chronological order of discoveries, you can kind of see that there's going to be more, you know, the narrative doesn't stop at the end of the year, we just ran out of time. So it's kind of like, that sort of way that students have to interact with science doesn't end. And I think that it was really cool for me to be able to like, see that just like other people did this, I could one day, you know, make this discovery or I could interact with science in a way that was more of just, I had to take this class because it's a credit. How do you um, see your career unfolding at this point? I know you're just getting ready to go to college. Uh, what, what are you thinking now? Right now, I definitely, um, my passion's definitely in education. I love mm. the idea of our brains and the way that they grow and the way that they retain and take in new information is just completely amazing to me. Um, I 
definitely think then I will go into education, but I want to get my undergraduate degree in chemistry in a field of study because I think that the best way to teach students is with um, with real knowledge on the subject. And I know that Erica's degree is in chemical education, which is great. I do not want to diminish that. That is an amazing <laughs> achievement. <laughs> but personally, I just... Um, I really want to get in that field and eventually I really want to teach science to um, non-English native speakers in their native language. So um, specifically Spanish for me, but I think that we can, um, subjects in STEM science or chemistry and math are not in language. They're not in a language. The periodic table isn't in English. It just is, you know, chemical equations aren't written in English. Mm. So I think that it would be really cool to take those kind of pedagogy and techniques and transform them into French and Spanish and those other languages so that when students move to the U.S., our public schools can change the narrative and not have it, have it be so that they have to learn English first for them to learn STEM, so that they can learn STEM while they're learning English. Mm. And therefore, they can be given more equal opportunities in those STEM fields and still advance and make their contributions without being hindered by not knowing English first. Wow. What languages do you speak? So I'm learning Spanish. I definitely wouldn't say I speak Spanish, but I'm in my fifth year of Spanish right now. And it's something mm. that is also really, I'm also really passionate about. So right now, the plan is to double major in Spanish and chemistry. Yeah. That's very ambitious of me. So we'll see how that ends up. <laughs> so, Erica, um, you had Molly for that year uh, in school. And uh, tell me about your relationship, how it grew, what it looks like today, how your uh, role as a mentor, I would say, most likely uh, has evolved. Tell me a little bit about that. Um, Molly was as a, well, Molly was one of the younger students that I would have taught because I normally don't see kids until they're uh, sophomores and Molly came in as a freshman, um, and very energetic, um, and very excited and very willing to engage in the process of, uh, um, of modeling and what that means in a classroom. Um, Molly wasn't afraid to share her ideas and you know one of the one of the roadblocks that we sometimes come into with students is that they're very afraid to be wrong and in modeling you're going to make mistakes like in well in any class you're going to make mistakes but in modeling you know we're building these models and then the whole point is to test them until they fail at which point then we need to adjust our model to to accommodate new information and so that's really intimidating for um, many students but you know, when we can get them to buy into this idea that failure is part of the making mistakes and, and failing is part of the learning process, then it really opens them up, not only in, in, in our STEM classes, but beyond. Mm -hmm. um, if you're willing to put yourself out there. And Molly was. Um, and then I was, su I was like super excited when she took my organic class. Uh, it was organic and food chem. And that was probably one of the that your specific class was probably one of my favorite classes that we ever taught. It was just so fun. Um, that class um, is an elective. And so we have a lot of freedom there. So I let the students um, sort of guide that, especially the second semester, which is food chem. So we like lay the foundation for 
um, biochemistry. So organic is my first semester. And then the second semester is transcripted as biochemistry, but we teach it through food. Um, but I let the students sort of guide where we would take that. Like what, what did you want to learn about? I'll go and I'll go learn it first. And then we'll come back and we'll talk about it. So that was kind of cool. Um, and then, you know, getting to work with Molly this summer and uh, kind of hang out as colleagues um, was really nice. And uh, then I think that, um, you know, we talk about things outside of science and chemistry as well. We talk, we've had conversations about what it means to be a woman in this field, uh, what it means to be a feminist, what it means to stand up for equality, um, what it means to, you know, the, the responsibility that I feel as, as a female role model in science. Um, and it's just, it's nice to, to see all of the work that we put in to hopefully improving the next generation of students coming up. Um, it's nice to see that come, come to fruition in, in people like Molly. Mm -hmm. Molly, I'm curious about your perspective on uh, women in science and women in primarily uh, male-dominated fields at your age. You're, uh, how old are you? If I could ask, how old are you? I'm 18. You're 18. Okay. So tell me your perspective at, at, uh, as a person of your generation, uh, women in fields that are primarily have been uh, male-dominated over the years. Yeah, well, my perspective is unique right off the bat because my mom is the main, actually the only breadwinner in my household and has always been for my whole life. So I already kind of grew up with this idea that women can be the main breadwinner and have whatever job they want, but my mom doesn't work in STEM. So I still kind of, the first time that I kind of felt like, oh, there's a man in this classroom who thinks that his opinion is better than mine solely based on the fact that he probably thinks he's superior to me because he's a man. And that's fine. I mean, high school boys are going to be high school boys anyway. <laughs> so I try not to make it like reflect a reflection of the whole field. Um, but the reality is I know that I probably will continue to face that. But I also know that I'm strong enough that I can. So it's definitely not been a hindrance for me because I just don't care about what people like. I know that I'm going to face those uh, excuse me, obstacles. And because I have strong role models like Erica and my mom and other people that I know have done it before, I know that I can and I'm strong enough that I can. But it's definitely something that I know holds other like some of my female classmates back because they know that they can't really, they feel like they can't voice their opinions because we have guys yeah. in our class who do think that this is their field and that they shouldn't, you know, have to listen to this girl who thinks that she's the smartest one in the room because obviously they are. Mm. So it, there is kind of this back and forth that you always go through, but I think that it's definitely different now than it was five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years mm -hmm. ago. Yeah. And I will... Yeah, I still think it's a battle, but we definitely have more tools to fight it now. And I'm excited. I mean, and it honestly makes me kind of excited. Like, I think that it's such a great time to be a woman in STEM. 
And I'm really excited that I am gifted enough to go down that career path and that I have the, like, the skills that I need to do that. So I don't know. I think that it's like time for us to get over those male-dominated field things. And even like female, like one of the reasons I love education, but something that also goes through the back of my head is, well, if I like become a teacher, all like that's going to be the thing is like women just become teachers and men are the ones that become the scientists and women's are the women are the ones that teach the material. And that's definitely something that like I think about because I want to go into education. Mm. But at the same time, I have to think like, I have to do what I want to do. And I can't think about those gender roles and those gender stereotypes because people are going to think those things no matter what. So right. it's hard, but I don't know. I like to think of it as kind of something that was around or that something that could affect my life if I wanted it to, but I'm ready to fight the battle so that it doesn't. That's such a great attitude, Molly. And uh, I want to really, uh, encourage you to keep going because you know i i think you're right <laughs> it's an old paradigm that needs to go away talent is talent it doesn't matter the gender and uh you know you're obviously uh, really a talented young lady in your field and uh boy i i'm encouraged to hear your attitude toward it it's really cool uh so uh, tell me about your experience um, in in the workshops. Did what, did you, Erica, you took Molly to one of the workshops? Was it a face-to-face or online or? It was, uh, so it was this past summer, summer of 2020, and it was all done on Zoom. So uh-huh. um, we, Molly and I, um, and our my co-facilitator, we all live in Indiana. And at the time, we were in various stages of uh, shelter in place and quarantine. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we were not, um, you know, we were in different locations. My sure. co-facilitator and I were in the same in the same space, but Molly was at her house. <laughs> so, yeah. and then we had, we had participants, participants from all over the country, uh, several from the Houston area, which is where the workshop was supposed to be. Um, but because it was virtual, we got to, to meet, um, a variety of, of teachers from all over the country. Um, yeah. which wasn't, op- which this was the first summer that some of those teachers had the ability to attend a workshop because it was virtual. Right. So, um, so, so Molly got to, while she, we weren't in a face-to-face workshop, we were still, we were still in workshop. We were just workshopping from home. Right. Yeah. And so what was that experience like for you, Molly? It was awesome. It was, I loved it. I mean, I got to meet so many cool people and it was it was the first time that I had kind of had that experience where I was obviously seen as all of them as a student, but at the same time, they were so respectful and so like willing to listen to me and listen to all my ideas and not think, oh, she's a student, she doesn't really know, or like think that my opinion would be less than either Erica or other facilitators or them each other like I was totally seen as someone with a very valuable opinion and that was really really awesome um it was also great to like 
meet so many people in so many different circumstances. We had first year teachers as well as seasoned teachers who were all just trying to improve their and trying to improve at their craft. So that was really encouraging. You know, there's this narrative that teachers like to just do what they do for 50 years and never improve, but that's was proven completely false. I mean, these teachers were constantly trying to get better. Even teachers that had um, attended the workshop multiple times before were still coming back to be better and get better for their students. So that was super awesome. But it, yeah, it was just a great, I mean, it was awesome. I felt like I was able to kind of, like Erica said, see how the sausage eats made. And obviously I had experienced the curriculum, but it was great to be able to be like, oh, so this is why we did that. And like the hidden meanings behind everything. So it was, yeah, it was great. Definitely a great way to spend a summer that I would have just sat in my room and quarantined. So <laughs> can't complain about that. What were your uh, top, two or three things that you learned in the workshop that you kind of tuck away and are going to take with you into the future? I definitely learned, I kind of learned why it's so important to give students choice and how they want to express. You know, there we did a lot of drawings and a lot of them explaining their own narrative and kind of the process of why modeling does that and why it's so important for students to be able to choose how they want to um, express those ideas was something that I definitely will like keep in my back pocket. Um, what else? I thought it was also really cool how the teachers interacted with, you know, every teacher did took these um, techniques and did put their own spin on them, did them in their own styles. Not that that was really cool. There was, I mean, there's no one size fits all. Um, so it was really cool to see how some teachers, especially like some teachers that taught in different environments. For example, we had a teacher who taught on a um, Native American reserve. So the fact that he kind of manipulated some things to make it best fit his environment um, was really cool. So yeah, definitely like the importance of student choice and then just how teachers can add their own personal style into whatever we were doing. So Erica, when you're teaching one of those, what are the things you're hoping that your students will take away? Um, so, well, one thing I wanted to add to what Molly was saying was that, um, so many of, she's correct in saying that some of the teachers had taken our workshop before and they had come back, but the majority of the teachers that were in that workshop were learning about modeling for the first time which put Molly in the very unique position of being more of an expert on the topic than the teachers who were there. Huh. And so these teachers who were um, putting themselves out there and in vulnerable positions and admitting like, hey, I'm not the expert in the room, this 18-year-old might know a little bit more about this than I do, and they engaged in it, which was, I think, a tremendous learning experience for for our teachers. Mm. Um, you know, getting to not only hear Molly's perspective as a student of modeling, but also hear Molly's perspective as a potential educator, and she's, you know, she's thought about teaching and the process of teaching. So, um, I thought that was neat that even though she was by far the youngest one there, yeah, she knew <laughs> knew about knew a lot about it well and there were even moments when like teachers would we would be talking about these obviously really simple 
simple with quotes, ideas of in Chem 1. And then these teachers would be like, well, wouldn't you have to include XYZ really um, advanced theory so that they can understand how this worked? And I had no idea what they were talking about. And this is after I had taken AP chemistry. Mm-hmm. So I could kind of, it was really, I felt really proud that I could look at them and be like, no, you can <laughs> totally understand this without doing that. Trust me, <laughs> because that is going to confuse them. And if I don't understand it and I've been taking three years of chemistry, they're not going to understand it two weeks into their first year. So like being able to kind of be that, for them to be open to that reality check and to be able to tell them like, yeah, your students are not going to get this. Wow. And then like being able to like help them to make it so that it would be more accessible to their students. Cause I mean, yeah, it's been years since these people have taken their first year of chemistry. So to kind of go back and be like, they do not understand that idea yet. You have to take it so much simpler. And mm-hmm. so that was really cool for me to be able to see that and then kind of see the levels of chemistry that I will eventually study, hopefully. So that was really cool to kind of have that back and forth too. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And I, that's one thing when you ask earlier, what do I want my participants to take out of the workshop? I think that Molly touched on it right there. Um, you know, in when we talk about how students learn and how they construct meaning, one, um, you know, one thing that we run into as teachers is that we know too much about the topic. And, you know, I've been, um, I've been doing chemistry longer than Molly's been alive. And so, <laughs> um, it's sometimes it's hard to go back and remember what was it like before I knew what this meant. And so when we think about Johnstone's triangle and the three the three um, representations that we have to move between when we talk about chemistry, and that is the macroscopic, um, the symbolic, and then the, the particulate level. So as, as experts, I can make those connections seamlessly in my head. And so if I write one FE plus one O two on the board, I know what I mean, but to a student, they could be like, is that one molecule? Is that one atom? Is that one gram? Is that one mole? Like, you know, the the expert can make make these connections and flow between these representations seamlessly. And so to be able to help our teachers recognize that and, and show them, well, from a student perspective, that's not always clear. Mm. Uh, so that's one thing. Um, and then really showing teachers that students have agency in their in their knowledge. They have agency in, in how they construct meaning. Um, they don't need to listen to us. Like they can come up with, like they, they can, they have their own ideas. They, they build, they don't, they don't come in as blank slates with us. Right. They come in with vast amounts of knowledge. Um, and some of it is perhaps, you know, based in misconception that we need to get to and then try to understand why. And instead of the idea that rigor is equivalent to breadth, I think is incorrect. And I think that my class, although maybe I don't get into um, kinetics in my first year, and I, you know, my first year chemistry, we don't talk about hybridization, but my students learn how to reason and they learn how to think. And so when they are presented with those higher level concepts, they can um, they can reason through it on their own without so much direct instruction from the teacher. 
Yeah. So Molly, I'm curious. You going into high school, you didn't plan to go into education or science. Yeah, I think at the time I wanted to be a lawyer, which is really shocking to me now because I don't like reading. <laughs> but <laughs> so, what was the what was the point at where you shifted? Well, I mean, I've always kind of wanted to do education, but had closed that door for myself because of the other factors. And I thought I could be more and do something, you know, because education in our society is seen as such a, it's something that somebody has to do. And it's kind of one of the easier things. But when I kind of had that shift of seeing teachers, I'm really blessed to go to a really great high school with amazing teachers that continually try to get better at what they do, are really engaging with their students. And when I kind of saw education in that different light of not something that teachers people did because they needed the money or something that teachers did because they wanted like, I don't know, a retirement job or something like that. But when I saw it as something that people did because they were passionate about their subject and passionate about teaching people how to be better, how to better themselves and stuff that they're really passionate about and how cool that can be is kind of when I made that click in my brain that, yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter what people think about my career. If I love what I do and I, the P and if I'm good at it and the people I'm teaching think I'm good at it, then who cares? So that's when I really started to like let myself kind of think about that more seriously. And especially with science education, when I saw that there's a real need for good science teachers and for those the advocates that they can be for their students and for good student advocates and for good education and how, yeah, how much there's a need for that right now. Um, is kind of when I was like, yeah, okay, I'll do it. Why not? It's something that I love to do. And yeah, I've always kind of had a passion for how our brains work and how students can learn. So it was a slow shift, but now I'm pretty settled and I'm, I applied to all my colleges with the intent to do that. So I hope I don't change too much. <laughs> wow. That's very exciting to hear. Actually, we do need more teachers with the kind of attitude that you have. Um, Erica, are you, do you have some thoughts that you'd like to share with our listeners about what it means to find a student like Molly? I'm sure she has, uh, brought some influence to your classroom, you know, as a mm -hmm. student in the classroom and how that influence works with your other students. Um, any, any thoughts along that line? Um, so Mark, you can help me out if I ramble too much. Um, what, when you first asked that question, the thing that comes to mind is teaching is really, really hard. Um, it takes a lot out of you emotionally and, and you really, if you, I, when I teach, I feel like I put a lot of who I am into what I do. Mm. And so when something doesn't go well, or, you know, I feel like I haven't done my best, it, I, t it hits real hard because I put so much of what I am into this and I believe in it so completely like it's part of my identity mm. and so it's really hard when it doesn't when you feel like you're not doing your best which I can speak 
for myself and many and every one of my friends who's a teacher right now during the pandemic that this is not a great time to be a teacher. You know, we don't feel like we're doing what is best for kids because we can't in in the current climate. We just can't. There are too many things, um, you know, affecting our safety that preclude us from being able to do hands-on labs and interact with our kids in the way that we want to. So it's been really, really hard. Um, in normal years and, and in this year as well, but when you come across a student like Molly who reminds you why you're in the classroom and reminds you, like when you see, because Molly's very emotive. <laughs> <laughs> And so, like, you see her get confused, but then when it clicks and her eyes literally, like, light up and, like, her smile um, when she gets something and she gets so excited when she understood something and it was, like, opening a door for her. Like, you could see, like, you watch the process, right? And it's it's Molly, but it's also other students that I've had that that go through the same thing. Like, when they start to believe in themselves and, and understand that like they have the ability to to do these to do this to, to like they see themselves as scientists when they never saw themselves as scientists before I think it builds confidence um, not only in in my class but outside mm. of the classroom it, it shows them um, no like your voice is important and so what you have to say is important and if you if you have an idea or you disagree with a teacher in the room and you like and you have evidence, to support your position, then share that. Yeah. Um, you know, if you read something and it sounds like the data is not being interpreted correctly, say that. Like, st you know, and and take that stand beyond. You know, these skills go beyond the classroom. Um, you know, like Molly, did you do any of the? Did you participate in the the protests or what did we do last year with um? Was it the gun control walkout? Yeah, that's the walkout. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. gun control walkout. So we had students that we have lots of students at our school that are um, politically active and and will uh, organize protests, walkouts, things like that because um, because I think our school does a good job of empowering students to understand that their voice is important, um, which I think modeling does as well. Um, so yeah, I think that. It's just coming across students like Molly that remind remind us why we do what we do and get us through times like this when, man, it's rough going to class every day. Yeah. Yeah. So, Molly, do you feel like that sometimes your inquisitiveness and your uh, activity and your engagement in the classroom uh, influences other students positively, negatively, you know? I hope it does. I've heard from my teachers that it does, which has really given me the confidence to continue to pursue it. But I've always been a really loud kid and I've <laughs> always been a really curious kid. So I've never like actively made the decision to like, yeah, today I'm going to raise my hand or today I'm good. You know, that's just something that comes as second nature to me. Um, but I've definitely noticed that, you know, Sometimes I, and that's why like looking back and kind of I'm at this point now where I can look more introspectively at my role as a student and being able to be like, oh yeah, you should raise your hand when I'm talking to, you know, having a side conversation with a student who doesn't understand or something like that. Like 
you know, you can take that kind of encouraging stance to encourage other people to be active because mm. I don't really need to engage in my education any more than I already do. So I'm kind of like trying to now take that step back and help others kind of be that voice for themselves. Um, but even before I started, you know, kind of looking at it like that, I've, I think it does because as much as a teacher can create that kind of culture for their class, the student has to engage in it as well. Right. And the more students that engage in that culture, grow it more and nurture that culture so that other students who maybe wouldn't have done that feel comfortable doing it because people do it every day. So I know that like I have a friend who's like, oh, I never want to talk in class because everyone's going to be paying attention to me and whatever, whatever. Well, if you're in a class where, you know, someone like me is doing it all the time, then you kind of notice how not how little of a deal it is. Mm. and how it can just be something that you do offhandedly and then everyone moves on and you all learn more you all learn better because of it mm. so i hope that i have been yeah. a positive influence on my classes i've tried not to be the student that takes over i probably have at <laughs> least once i know <laughs> at least once but overall i hope that i've been more of a positive influence on my classmates yeah, yeah. that's great so, um, modeling instruction has impacted your life, and as you go into in, in, uh, to education, do you see yourself in a situation, a classroom, where you would employ modeling techniques in your instruction and practices? Yeah, I mean, I hope so. I think there's so many things about modeling that are not specific to modeling, but are, but are specific to good education. Hmm. I mean that kind of engagement level that you get with your students and modeling is not matched by any traditional, m most traditional techniques of teaching. So it's kind of like, well, am I going to ask my kids to draw diagrams of things <laughs> that they don't understand? Of course. Like that's how I'm going to point them out for, you know, give them feedback. And I think that it's such a great way. Modeling has made such, has made it so easy for teachers to understand how they can implement these, you know, these ideas that seem so hard to implement in their classrooms. But it, I don't know if I'm making sense right now, but I think you can understand what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> it's like these, you know, asking your kids to like draw a model and then having to create feedback for them can seem like such a weird, ambiguous idea but modeling creates the guidelines and the roadmap so that teachers can feel like people have done this before. It's been, you know, it's been used and it's been reworked and it's been improved. So it is a lot easier for them to have to, to follow modeling than pioneer their own method of new, you know, ways that they can improve their classroom. So I think that's really cool. And I hope that I'm in a position where I can use some of the modeling techniques with my students. But then again, I don't know what the classroom's going to look like by the time I get to one. So mm -hmm. we'll see. So the answer is yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> 110%. That's awesome. Oh, you're great. Well, this, is, this <laughs> has been a blast. And um, 
It's been such a pleasure to have you guys with me, and and this discussion has just been a real joy. And uh, Molly, thank you for taking a little time to talk to us about your experience. And uh, you know, you're, you're our first uh, student that's been on the podcast, and it's been really fun. And Erica, thank you so much for introducing me to Molly, and uh, and to our listeners. Uh, she's a real joy. And, uh, and a breath of fresh air and an encouragement for the future too uh, you know she's uh, we're, we're excited to see where your career goes Molly thank you well I hope I'm not the last student I hope this went well no I yeah. think I think we'll do this again so those of you who are listening let's uh, you know if you have a student that you'd like to bring along with you as a, a teacher student and and we can talk to about their experience in the modeling classroom that would be great so I'm gonna let you guys go thank you so much again and uh, just remember to be awesome <laughs> thanks Mark yeah. thank you bye thanks so much for joining us on another episode of science modeling talks Head over to sciencemodelingtalks.com and you'll be able to listen to any of our archived episodes and access our show notes, which include guest bios, show highlights, and links to resources that were mentioned during the interview. While you're there, subscribe to our show so you won't miss out on any of our episodes. When you join this community through our email list, we'll send you a link to a lot of awesome resources from the American Modeling Teachers Association. Okay, so that's our show. As always, remember to keep striving for excellence in your classroom.